This is the Dungeon Master's Handbook. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Dungeon Master's Handbook. I'm Michael, Chicago Wiz. Glad you could join me. In this episode, I'm going to be talking about something that I mentioned briefly early on. I'm going to be talking about how I extended my campaign world into the online world and about how I run my games uh, in a virtual method. I had mentioned uh, early on that I run a tabletop campaign, which I've been doing for nine years. Well, I also have been running an online game for nearly that same amount of time, and it's been a really rich and rewarding experience, and uh, I'd like to share a little bit of you of that with you. Um, I've used two main methods for online gaming. Uh, one is one that I personally am more uh, familiar with, and that's play-by-post games. And then I've also run virtual tabletop games, or VTT, or uh, services like uh, Roll20. Um, play-by-post is pretty much what it sounds like. Uh, you find a venue either email or uh, maybe an online forum or some other service that uh, allows you to do threaded messaging. And you put up a post. Uh, you know, as the dungeon master, I'll put up a post that describes the situation. And then the players will respond as to what they do or say or spells that they cast or actions that they take and then I will post responses to those and it goes back and forth like that. Um, virtual tabletop is pretty much what it sounds like. I'm sure most of you are already familiar with it but if you are not um, it is exactly what it sounds like. Uh, these are programs or services where you can set up a tabletop which can have a map, it can have a picture, it can have uh, miniatures, they call them tokens, uh, for the various players and the monsters that you drag around and whatnot. And uh, these can be range from very simple uh, type experiences to where you basically see a map and that's about it, to uh, something like I've mentioned uh, with the Roll20 where you can have integrated character sheets, you can have what are known as macros that fire off when you click a button. So if, say, you have a cleric and you want to cast Cure Light Wounds, you can click on a token and click your button for Cure Light Wounds and it'll automatically calculate the uh, amount that they're healed and, and bring them back up. So they can be very sophisticated. Uh, you can do things like uh, reveal a map a certain amount at a time uh, called Fog of War. You can have dynamic lighting so that the players themselves have torches and lanterns and as they walk around in dungeons, it'll automatically light up the area that they can see. Uh, but we'll get into that a little bit later. So my play-by-post uh, game in my campaign world, uh, as I mentioned, has been going on for nine years and it's kind of neat. Uh, several of the players that are in my online campaign have been doing it virtually from the uh, time that I started. Uh, they, they've been with me the, the entire nine years. Um, and two of my online players are also my regular tabletop players. So that's kind of neat. They get to 
experience the game uh, in, in two different ways. Um, I've also, you know, so I've done that for a while. I've also run a uh, virtual tabletop game on Roll20. Um, this wasn't in my campaign world. This was uh, for a different campaign that I've run on and off over the years based on the old uh, Ultima computer role-playing game games that came out in the early 80s. Uh, you may have heard of Ultima Online. Um, I ran this for a little while. Uh, fortunately, it didn't work out due to schedules, but I'd like to share my experiences from that as well. So first, here's kind of the real big question. If I'm already running a tabletop game and having a lot of fun with it, why would I run and do an online game? What would be the appeal for it? And for me, um, it was two main reasons. One, I had a chance to broaden my audience. Um, you know, I, I get to see friends of mine on you know at least once a month, sometimes more, when we come to my house to uh, game in the Etnero world. But I wanted the chance to meet and get to play with other people, uh, and doing it online gave me that opportunity. You know, I can have players from all over the country and even all over the world who might be able to enjoy my campaign world. And I think that's kind of cool. That's an opportunity I didn't want to miss. And then secondly, it gave me an opportunity to have more gaming in such a way that it didn't take up an entire day. You know, for playing in the tabletop, we have to give up an afternoon. We have to give up an evening. In my case, my players give up most of a Sunday. They're here by 11 a.m. and they're usually leaving around 5 p.m. So you know that that's a that's an investment of an entire day. And in this day and age, that can be kind of hard to come by. Um, seems like with with adulting comes less time to do the things that we like to do. Uh, and and I really appreciate that they do that, but I wanted a chance to have more gaming. And so being able to get online, whether it was with a play-by-post or doing it on a virtual tabletop, was an opportunity that was too good to pass up. Uh, I thought it allowed me a lot more flexibility. And in most cases, it has. Um, in some cases, uh, it didn't exactly work out that way. So when I've done an online game, I've ran into my fair share of challenges because now that I have two games running in my world, um, I faced some interesting things that I needed to come up with solutions with. Um, the first biggest question was where do I put them? Uh, you know, I, I had a tabletop game that was establishing itself and I wanted the online game to be in the same world, but I didn't want to necessarily have them conflict. Um, there is a, a couple of reasons why, which I'm going to get to in a minute, but um, I, I wanted to be able to have them in different areas. One, it broadens and exposes a lot more of my world, um, and two, it avoids some problems of overlap. Um, you know, if, if the players from the online game did something and then they were in the middle of it and then my tabletop players came in and went to the same place, how am I going to make that work? 
So I did what was easiest. I put them on either side of the continent. Um, and since everything in my world moves at the speed of pony, it was going to be really easy for me to, uh, to not have any problems. So the players in my tabletop game play in the northeastern part of my continent, and the players in my online game played in the southwestern side of my world. So fairly easy solution there. The next solution, or the next problem that I had to come up with a solution for is that time passes differently for each game. Uh, you know, uh, the, the tabletop game that I just did today, we went through six game days um, in the span of six hours. Well, in my online game, especially the play-by-post uh, games, things move a lot more slowly. And so, whereas four years have passed in my tabletop world, my online game, although it's been going on for quite a long time, they haven't even finished a full year yet. So, um, and that's the nature of the beast. You know, uh, with, with play by post, you're waiting for somebody to post a response. And I do encourage my players to try to post at least once a day. That doesn't always happen. Sometimes I can't even post once a day. Um, and if you can imagine a combat, you know, where we can get through a combat fairly quickly because we're sitting here, we're talking, we're bouncing back and forth, the dice are rolling. I have to write something. You know, the monsters do this. What are you going to do? I have to wait for each person to post their, you know, their responses. We may have questions back and forth. Okay, you want to do this thing. I need a little more detail. Can you tell me what you're doing here? And they have to do that. Sometimes it takes three to four days just to resolve a round of combat. And sometimes there are 10, 12 rounds of combat, depending on how hard, how hard it is. So as you can see... You know, we could be in a, a two, three weeks just to get through or longer just to get through one combat. So that's why time moves a lot more different, a lot more slowly. So my problem is this, um, you know, if time is passing differently, I didn't want one game to uh, force things on the other. So if my online game is running at a lot more slower pace, I don't want them to necessarily do things that are going to ripple forward into the future and affect my tabletop campaign in such a way as to where I have to do a retcon or, you know, oh, I'm sorry that didn't happen because, you know, this other game did this thing. Um, it kind of feels like, you know, I'm involved in a prequel right now. So I have a lot of appreciation for people that write prequels and what the difficulties are. Um... I was really careful in how I planned this out, and fortunately, by putting them on the other side of the world, while they are involved in events that are very similar, um, it the things that one part that the online party does aren't going to necessarily fully translate over into the uh, into the um, second game, and. It may seem a little bit like railroading, but I can also prevent some things from happening. Um, I've got a pretty good handle on that. And also, I've given enough for the online players to do that uh, they're quite busy 
and they don't right now I'm not as worried about any sort of a overlap or issue with continuity happening so uh, it is something to be aware about and it's something to keep an eye on but if you're careful and you do a little bit of planning I'm fairly sure that you know you'll be able to navigate this as well also had to deal with an issue of keeping interest going over the long haul my online game has gone on in two bursts uh, it went on for about three years, then there was a long pause, and then we've been going on from 2015 till now. Believe it or not, that's an awful lot of content to write over a long haul. Um, and not only that, but it's also a lot to keep them interested and keep coming back and keep them to where they want to continue playing the game. And I found that the best way to do that, at least for my players, is to make things very personal for them, to give them a big goal or two, and then to make sure I throw plenty of challenges. Certainly sounds like what you would do in a tabletop game, but in this, I had to really pay attention to, you know, not letting things slow down, not letting things, uh, you know... You're always going to run into lulls and dips where, you know, things are kind of putting along by where people are doing things or they're going to town. And so I always made sure to put in a little bit extra effort so that way nothing was really ordinary. You know, the tabletop players, okay, I'm going to go to market and I'm going to go buy my stuff and I'm going to go get outfitted for armor and yada, yada, yada. Well, here, rather than just saying I go visit the armorsmith, I made it a little more personal. I, I went into detail about the armor and what he did and what he said to make it interesting. You know, when a player goes to the odd bookstore to find possibly something of magic, it's not just a bookstore. There's weird things going on in there. There's a proprietor that looks like he's a goblin, you know, and, and, and just try to add that little bit extra so that way it continues to interest them. It's like reading a story for them and they constantly want to see what's in the next chapter and I have to keep doing that. And it's actually a lot of work, but it's a lot of fun. I have to admit it's a lot of fun doing this and I always try to get feedback from my players in terms of what they're enjoying, what they'd like to do next, where they want things to go. Um, and because conversely I can do things a lot more slowly, it gives me a lot more time to plan these out and really keep them involved. Now with the virtual tabletop, the challenges I had with that were somewhat different. Um, a lot of it was in preparation and learning the tool. Uh, like any other piece of software, uh, virtu these virtual tabletops will have their own quirks, have their own strange way of doing things, they'll have their annoyances. I've certainly ran into that with Roll20 uh, with uh, trying to manage the tokens and the player character sheets and uh, you know managing the changes from one to the other and the certain order you have to do things and whatnot. Um, as well as setting up the various maps and uh, things that the players are going to run into. It's a little bit more preparation to me than preparing for a tabletop game uh, with getting everything together and then putting it in such a way and setting everything up so that it flowed smoothly during the game time. 
I highly, highly recommend if you are going to use a virtual tabletop is definitely watch videos, listen to podcasts, even maybe involve yourself in a game and see how uh, other GMs do it, see what the tools work, how they work, maybe even talk to one of them and see if they'll walk you through some things and show you what it looks like behind the curtain. Um, I had that help. Um, Thank you very much, Joseph. And uh, it was a lifesaver for me in making sure that this game flowed smoothly. Um, The other thing about the virtual tabletop was actually trying to come up with time and availability. I don't know if it's because it was online and maybe it was easier to say, eh, I'm not going to show up than it is, you know, with actually getting together in person, but it was really hard to keep these guys coming back. Now, I understand life gets in the way. Um, I get that. I even had something come up to where I had to cancel an evening, but it just seemed like I struggled a lot more to get this game going than I've had to to keep my tabletop game going. So just a thought there, maybe a lesson learned. Um, Don't give up, though. Now, with this game that I tried to do in on the Roll20, since we couldn't seem to get it going, I said, hey, guys, why don't we move it to a play-by-post? And everyone seems to be okay with that, and now we're rocking and rolling in the dungeon on a, uh, on a forum, the OD&D 74 forum. So, uh, you know, if it doesn't work one way, try it another so what cool things have happened in my online game? There's really a couple of things I want to share with you. And these really came about because play by post allows me to say in words, really vivid descriptions. Now I can do that in, in, uh, you know, when, when we're sitting here at the table, I can certainly, you know, I, I think I'm fairly good at setting a mood and getting people hooked on, but there's something about being able to sit down and really craft a written word explanation that I think really can sometimes get it, get across much better what I'm trying to say. I'll give you an example of that. In my online game, there's a city called Skullfear. And Skullfear has some rather unique inhabitants. One of these was a mysterious widow of a rich merchant. And she had put out an ad that she wanted adventurers to go find a wizard's tomb. Nobody wanted to take the job because everybody found Jonenza crazy and creepy. Well, there's a reason why. Because when the PCs went to her house, they couldn't exactly get in because the entire house was surrounded by bushes that had lifelike little dolls hanging in them. And as the players got close to these dolls, these dolls slowly turned and watched them with their little eyeless faces. Getting creeped out yet? I was going for maximum creepiness, and I had my players on edge. It was so much fun. When they finally tried to open the gate and get into the house, the vines of these bushes reached forward, grabbed the players, pricked them with their thorns, and then started to pull them underground. Now, those who had failed the saving throw against the thorns found that they were able to breathe. Those that had succeeded, not so much, and they took damage on that. The players were pulled into this underground cellar where dolls walked forward, handed them food, handed them water, and then one doll with a hinged uh, jaw came forward and started talking in a strange voice and basically negotiated the job with the PCs. 
was so much fun describing all this. And this happened around 2010, 2011. These players still talk about that to this day. And I, I just love that. But I really feel like it was being able to sit down and write that out that I was really able to get this scene across to them in such a way that it really made an impact on them. Um, another thing that's happening that's really cool is that it's giving me an opportunity to open up an area in my campaign world that is something I've thought about since the very beginning. In my campaign world, um, parts of what used to be civilization have been lost. Uh, during this apocalypse, people fled. Um, and in this case, in my online world, this was an island city called Ramathia. Well, the volcano next to Ramathia exploded, kind of like a Vesuvius event. Um, and, uh, you know, people fled and the city was abandoned and nobody's wanted to go near it because it was cursed. Well, now my players are finally getting to go back. And so I get to actually reveal this thing that I've been imagining in my world for almost 10 years now, um, very similar to uh, when my players on my tabletop game get close to the lost diamond city of Aresia. Um, I always keep hoping they're just going to make it and go inside and see all the cool things that I've had in my head for 10 years, um, but not yet. They're getting close. So I love it when the players get to find the big things in my campaign, and by having the second and third and fourth games in my world, I get to be able to do that, and I get to be able to enjoy my world war more and share it with them and get them to enjoy it more. I can't wait to see how this ends. Well, that's about it for now. Um, I hope you've enjoyed listening a little bit about how I've done my online games and why I do them and some of the things I've ran into. Um, I hope if you have any questions or comments, you'll let me know what you think. And uh, I have a surprise coming soon. I've got a twofer interview. Uh, I'm going to be uh, featured on a video blog here shortly. And then that same person that runs the video blog is going to be coming on to visit me on my podcast. And we're going to be talking about creating campaigns because that's what I love to talk about. So I hope you'll keep tuning in and listening. And uh, that'll be coming real soon. I'd also like to encourage you to enter into the one-page dungeon contest. If you've never heard of this before, this is the 10th anniversary of the One Page Dungeon Contest. The One Page Dungeon is something that I, along with a couple of other OSR friends, uh, David Bowman, who wrote Sham's D&D blog, and Michael Curtis, who wrote the Stoneheld uh, Mega Dungeon, we kind of kicked this idea around and came up with it and refined it. And then a blogger by the name of uh, Philippe, also known as Chatty DM, he discovered it, and we all whipped up a uh, dungeon contest back in 2009. Um, it is going on again this year. You have until May 1st to enter into it if you go to dungeoncontest.com. There's tons of sponsors, a lot of really cool prizes. Chatty and I are judging again, so we're really happy to be back and, and a part of the 10th anniversary. There have been some really awesome dungeons made. I hope you enter. It would be really cool to see your work. All right, that's it. I hope you'll subscribe and review and let me know what you think about the show. And until next time, game on. Game on.